with your powers combined, we are fan holes. Go, go, go fan can't believe there's a chat room big enough to hold all of our present bodies. Wow. <laughs> of all the things I missed about the show, I miss Tony being wrong always. We've already got a me. We don't need another me. <laughs> oh boy, a Bashir episode. <laughs> uh, ah yes, Derek. Lover of lobster women. Defender of Starfire's fidelity. I just want to know, who is the consultant? <laughs> no, I have no eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can relate to a, a talking cat that eats lasagna. I'll okay. do it, but I want to be immediately killed afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, in your Derek lair, do you have a list of that tells you like how to take down the other fan holes? Should we like go crazy? <laughs> how does my stupid voice sound? You sound beautiful. Like ten times sexier. Good job. No one gets us because we don't explain it. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight is my fellow co-host in crime. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, this is Justin. And we are together for a very specific reason. We're actually here to discuss the book, which I did not read. Justin, you know, held me down and forced me to, like, <laughs> look over pages of it. But I refused, and I listened to the audiobook instead. Ha-ha! <laughs> You're a cheater! Yeah, I'm a dirty, dirty cheater. I didn't read like the Batman. book. Like but, but, yeah, like Batman, I cheated, and I have <laughs> succeeded. And we, we, well, Justin read... And I listened to Marvel the Untold Story, and so Justin was keen on, on you know, us discussing this and, and, and talking about this, and so that was the way we facilitated my lazy, non-reading, you know, uh, Cro-Magnon ignoramus ways, and so that's that's what we're going to do tonight. We're actually going to discuss it. Now, I think I, I probably listened to this, I don't know, maybe like two or three weeks ago or something, and I think I think Justin, just to, to get an idea of, you know, what I listened to, like you just listened to this too as well, right, the, the audiobook? Yeah, I had the ebook downloaded it a couple years ago, and the program I was using crashed, and I lost all my bookmarks. So, like, I... I lost the bookmark for this book and a like half dozen Star Trek novels I was also reading. So I was just like, ah, oh, crap, because I was like a quarter way into it. And then I was, you know, you know, basically this was my attempt to try and get you to, you know, to read a book. But also I thought maybe you would enjoy it and maybe it would maybe give you some background, maybe something relating to like history of comics or something. Oh, yeah. But yeah, um, sure. you were telling me about the audiobook, and I was like, you know what, I think I'll just – Maybe give it a, a listen because you were kind of – we were discussing the uh, the narrator, and I was kind of like, man, this guy, he kind of puts me to sleep. Like especially when he's talking about stuff I'm extremely familiar with, like during the Silver Age portion of the book where he's talking about the creation of like Hulk and Iron Man and Spider-Man. I'm like, I know this stuff. This is like you know, uh, old hat for me, and I'm kind of like – uh, I'm like, oh, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm here, I'm listening. I, I'm kind of glad you said that. Like, it, it, it's kind of twofold for me because not only did you recommend this to me and speak highly of it, or at least you know you were curious on what my thoughts would be on it, but I, I do have to say, like, not only 
this is always a peril I feel like with with podcasting and stuff because sometimes you feel like you are obligated to synopsize things and tell people things because you know they may or may not have read the story right and and so sometimes you feel like there's that that kind of dynamic of do do you do you spend too much time you know do you put too much weight on the synopsis and not enough on the discussion or do you put do you not give anybody any context? Do you not synopsize? And just, I, I think, especially in the early days of fan holes, we were very anti-synopsis. It was just like, oh, fuck this. We're just going to talk about what we just read. And if you haven't read it, fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and sometimes we still may do things like that. You know, like you, you may just have like, oh, I don't got time for this shit. But, you know, I, over the years, listening to other people do podcasts and stuff and seeing how, you know, that can be kind of an interesting aspect of, of creating something, you know, you, you get into a, a rhythm or a style and sometimes, yeah, you know, we, we swipe synopses from different written sources sometimes we write our own you know sometimes you layer it with music sometimes you don't you know like you, you do all kinds of different tricks and you want to make these things you know enjoyable to people but not leave them in the lurch you know i was listening to a podcast today where they're talking about different crazy theories about doctor who like basically they had people write in and and you know kind of question them like basically you know you know, tell me, you know, give me the no prize for this continuity gaffe in Doctor Who. And then they, you know, went through this whole thing. And and the, the hosts, they, you know, they may not have synopsized every episode that they wanted to talk about blow by blow, but they did a good job of setting up this, this question is related to this episode, and this is the background on it, and you felt like, okay, good, even if I've never seen that Tom Baker episode, I had a good sense of what they were discussing and, and how they discussed it and everything. And so there, to me, like there's a balance to it. And sometimes you strike it and you hit it just right. And, and, and you're not bored to tears by something you already know about. And sometimes like you're saying you are. And the reason why I'm glad you said that is because not only did you recommend this to me, but I feel like because I listened to back to the bin so much, like Paul Spastaro did read this book. And he did bring up, like, not, like, say all the story or, or go through a, a complete kind of review of the book. But I, I, I remember excerpts of the book from his point of view. So when I would get to those excerpts, I would be like, I've heard this story before. And not in the sense of, I heard, you know, I know what the Silver Surfer's origin is. Because when they get to that, you're like... And then the surfer fell into Alicia Masters' apartment, and then he decided he was going to stay on Earth. You know, and, and you're listening to the guy, and you're like, okay, dude, I know this. And it's like, dude, how can you make the Galactus trilogy put you to sleep? But somehow this guy does it, right? And and so, like, you're sitting there, but th then there are, like, other stories that come up, and you're like, oh, I, I remember that Martin Goodman story. And then I went, oh, maybe that's because, like, Paul Spataro was talking about it on Back to the Bins, you know? Or sometimes, like, there are anecdotes that you hear passed down through the ages, like that supposedly false quote-unquote anecdote about how i think it's even in this book where like i i feel like we've all heard the story about how like martin goodman went golfing with the guy who you know it, who was it like julie schwartz or whoever did justice league and was like 
I, you know, I made this great book that sold tons of money. And then Goodman goes back to Lee and says, make Fantastic Four. But I feel like later in history, everybody decided that was apocryphal. But yet, I think it's still in this book, right? Like, I, I don't know. But anyway, the, the point is, like, sometimes you hear all these stories. And, and, and I guess, in some sense, when you got, when I got to those parts in the book, whether it was comic history that I already knew about, like, say, the Galactus trilogy and the origin of the Silver Surfer, not that that's not a fantastic story, but because I already knew it, like, that was my moment to, like you said, kind of kind of snooze out, you know, because it wasn't anything new that I hadn't heard before. And then, you know, there there would be the moments where you'd come to something where you're like, oh, shit, I, you know, I, I didn't know that story about them mailing Jim Starlin doobies in the in the letters column or whatever, like, shit like that, where you're like, oh, that's kind of weird, you know, like, and so there, there were things like that where it's like, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't, when I was a kid reading Warlock Chronicles, like, in a deluxe format, I don't think I was, you know, obviously I was not smoking doobies when I was doing that, but, you know, like, the, I just, I don't even think I made that connection that that was... That, that Jim Starlin Warlock was supposed to be, like, trippy, kind of like Ditko's Doctor Strange or whatever, but I, I guess maybe I'm kind of babbling now, but... There, there was one thing I wanted to kind of get into, like, right off the bat, like, this book spends a great deal of time discussing, like, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and their, I guess, their ongoing battles, eventually. Uh, mm. So, my question to you is this. Stan Lee... Threat or menace? Stan Stan Lee is not a menace. But, <laughs> is but, he a threat? But but Stan Lee may be a threat. I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, it's funny. Like it, it's funny because I'll I'll see posts occasionally where you, you know how like you've got like the Bob Kane documentary or not not the Bob Kane documentary. That's probably the wrong way to put it. But how how you've got you know the Bill Finger you know like Bill Finger's the guy who really created Batman, not Bob Kane documentary yeah. going around and everything. And so like you know, there's always been that underlying thing where if you knew things. Like, you know, if, if whether you're a fan or whatever and you, you start to read certain things, I mean, obviously, when you find out about certain things and you hear certain stories phrased certain ways, you know, it's only human to, you know, maybe take a side in that yeah. in that story. Right. And and I, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, I, I think I'm definitely I'm definitely a Kirby guy. In yeah. that story, I think I'm definitely the Bill Finger guy in that story, you mm. know, like as far as that goes, because there's some sense of me that feels like, you know, it's like you was hoodwinked, you was bamboozled, you know, like that kind of thing where you're like, I, I think you were told so long, like, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, Mike, he's always like, I, you know, Deadpool man, Batman man, <laughs> I created them all, you know, and, yeah. I mean, that's why we tell that joke, because, because it's, it's almost like, you know, at least in this, like, it gets to the nitty gritty of it, where it's like, and Stan only knew the characters of the X-Men he created. I, I and yet that was they were not, story. you know, it's like, but yet Colossus and Storm <laughs> and Nightcrawler were not labeled. So he didn't know what the <laughs> fuck to say at this meeting. You know, and you're like sitting there going, well, no shit, dude. Like, he, it's like he paid attention to the guys that were his, but yet it's kind of like, oh, oh, that, you know, that, that's, that, it's kind of like almost his ignorance was like the shining point in this, um, direct to video 
behind-the-scenes thing for the Hulk versus where he fights Wolverine. And, like, th- there's this great thing. Like, the whole DVD is, like, you know, Hulk versus Wolverine, Hulk versus Wolverine. And, like, there's this great bit with Stanley where he's like, well, what's this about, guys? Like, Wolverine wouldn't last two seconds against the Hulk. <laughs> and, like, you know, it's, like, it's so it's so hilarious because, one, it's true. But, two, because, like, Stanley's so, like, willfully ignorant of the fact that Wolverine is like this popular character and you're not supposed to sort of just, you know, push over the apple cart so easily. Like you, you kind of have to put up some resistance in an interview like that where you're like, I don't know, maybe Batman could beat Superman, you know? And even though, you know, it's pointedly ridiculous to even suggest such a thing, but it's like that those, those kind of moments, you know, it's like, that's, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, to me, like when, when it got to the point, I mean, I knew all this stuff already, but when it got to the point where they were talking about the Mr. Miracle stuff and the funky Flashman stuff, and then it mm-hmm. got to the point where they talked about house Roy, like, I'm sorry that I, I, I'm even a fan of Roy Thomas and everything. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of his Facebook appreciation page. Like this, that takes nothing away from my appreciation of Roy Thomas, but at the same time, you gotta admit, man, House Roy is pretty hilarious. Like, that that's pretty fucking funny, you know? One of my favorite quotes, and I think this is, like, from, like, the late 80s section of the book. They were talking about, and I didn't realize this, but they had, like, so many projects just constantly, like, what, in, in pre-production? Or mm. not even that. They were just trying to, like, get interest, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, Nick Cage or whoever is interested in playing Iron Man or whatever. But, I like, I didn't realize they had so many, like irons in the fire i guess but like my favorite little quote is like stan loved ant-man beyond all reason and no one ever gave a damn <laughs> <laughs> just like what <laughs> well, that, that was funny was was when they said like that that new bigwig president walked by and it's like what are you guys talking about and it's like well stan's talking about ant-man and it's gonna like oh okay like stan's <laughs> talking about ant-man you know like yeah, you know, you know what that reminds me of is is for for me, I would always read comic scene, and in the back of comic scene, you would always see like all these things, like you know, Watchmen pre production, uh, who's attached to it, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's attached, and I forget who. It was like uh, you know, freaking um, who, what's that guy's name? I can't even think of his name now. The uh, Baron Munchausen director. What's that guy's name? Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, Terry Gilliam? Terry, Terry Gilliam was like the director attached to it, and they wanted wow. like, Arnold to play Dr. Manhattan. You know, like, that, that. those those were the pitches, you know? Those were like the right. Hollywood Larrys that were like, dude, I got a, I got a story for you. It's Watchmen. It's like, Ar- Arnold's gonna have a blue penis, and Terry Gilliam's <laughs> gonna direct it. It's gonna be beautiful you know like like those kind of things and you'd see all these pitches you know all all these in development things you know that that you know potentially it's like you know out of the hundred that were in the back you know maybe you'd get lucky if two or three actually you know you're like oh holy shit secret of the ooze got made you know like like occasionally there'd be something that actually got made but most times there'd be these kind of you know things that were in pre-production or 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 kind of in development but they never really got past the talking stages kind of like we were right. joking like, about you know rob liefeld and dooms 4 being like a, a steven spielberg right. you know picture or whatever i i didn't know that there was an unsold power pack pilot from 91 when they started talking about that i was like 
What? Yeah. So I was yeah. asking about that. Like, I'm sure you know about that. I, like, I do. It's it's okay. it's on the list. Like, that's going to be covered on <laughs> History of Comics on film at some point. You know, you know what's funny about that? Like, I, I, there, there was a point in my life where I, I really wanted to pitch things and stuff, and and Power Pack was always my my secret pitch where I'd be like. Larry, Larry, it's Spy Kids meets X-Men, Larry, and it's going to be fantastic. Like, that was going to be my thing. And, like, I had all these ideas for Power Pack, and I'm sure I've said it on the podcast before, and it doesn't matter now because they already ruined it because they, they stole my ending in Fantastic Four 2 where Johnny Storm gets, like, all the powers of the Fantastic Four. But that was going to be my thing where, you know, because it came from the comics where they did Power Packs, and it was like Alex Power had, like, all the powers of the power pack. So that was going to be how I was going to end the film, you know, like that was going to be the big climax moment or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that's something like that. You know, you know the things that crack me up are the things that never happen. Like the whole thing where, um, who was it? David Bowie's wife. I forget who the, the one that was into black widow and she ran around. Oh like, yeah, yeah, take, yeah. Taking pictures of herself as Black Widow, and then yeah. and then there's this goofy. And I'm sure this was in Starlog or Comic Scene or one of those magazines too, where there's this goofy picture of her with this guy in a Daredevil outfit. And I mean, it's a straight I've up, seen that. It's yeah. a straight up red leotard like outfit yeah. where you're like, oh, you're like, this is why they never. That's this is why people <laughs> were afraid of. Just yeah. making a straight up faithful daredevil because it looks fucking you know it's he's got those droopy poofy horns you know that are made out of like you know cloth or something or whatever you know it, it looks like daredevil but like from the the 40s batman serials or whatever version of daredevil you know like that kind of thing or or the other thing that always baffled me to no end was like dazzler was supposed to be nightcat you know what i mean like or, or yeah. for lack of a better term you know like dazzler was supposed to be this big movie thing and like and then the funny part was then is like i think originally like they wanted to make her you know like maybe she was like janet jackson or somebody but then it turned into like you know she she became blonde and a disco girl because like Bo Derek was going to be interested in it and like you know just how all these things twisted and turned and then you know ultimately what you get like a couple years of uh you know, I don't know, five or six years of Dazzler comics out of the whole thing, but that's essentially it, right? Like, there was no live stage show, there was no movie extravaganza or anything, but but all those things were sort of on the table, you know? Like, so, so and that was, that you know, it seemed like that was, you know, them trying to go through all these kind of movie deals. I mean, you, you talk about Stanley, like, Threat or Menace. I mean, there is a part of me that feels sad because... Like, it, it's weird how, I guess, they're trying to sell it as, like, look, Stanley's dream came to fruition, even though he didn't have anything to do with it. Which yeah. is, I mean, you know, people can send angry emails to fanholspodcast at gmail.com, but you could say the same thing about his comics career in some ways, right? Like, even though it's like he, he managed to hornswaggle everybody into thinking, like, I created them all, but, you know, then you're like, oh, well, Steve Dicko, Jack Kirby, you know etc etc you know like that that kind of thing right and i'm just gonna say this for all the people that are like dude you're wrong like look at jack kirby's stilted horrible dialogue in all of his solo projects it's really not the same without stan lee for for all the people that say that I, i've got a couple words for you ravage 2099 and fucking the the dc created by stan lee just imagine stuff yeah like 
I'm sorry, but it's the same shit either way. Like, if it's a collaborative thing, and and for for you know people that have that sense of awe and inspiration from reading, say the the Lee Kirby FF, that is fine. But you can't just you know it's like one of those things where it's like you know okay fine, but Jack was still extremely creative and and went on to make scores of interesting ideas. And yeah, okay, so fine. He didn't have Stanley to fine tune his dialogue, but you know what? I I I would take the deluxe six issue New Gods series and the Hunger Dogs over freaking Just Imagine and Ravage twenty ninety nine any day of the fucking week. You know what I mean? Like the thing that really made me sit up and go wow was when it was talking about Kirby was trying to get his artwork back from Marvel. Oh, and they were dragging their ass, and he had this quote like, "I had to rewind the." Uh, audiobook and make sure i heard what i heard correctly and kirby was quoted as saying because like marvel wanted him to like sign this release that said like you can't copy this artwork you can't display it you can't sell it like we can change it whenever we want and he was like his quote was i wouldn't cooperate with the nazis and i won't cooperate with them i was just like oh my god like was it really that bad? Like, that's the stuff, like, I had never heard about and could mm. not ever imagine, you know? But, like, this this book kind of reinforced feelings I had had about Stan maybe for, like, the past 10 or 12 years. Like, I think for me when the, the cracks first began to, like, show was that Jonathan Ross special where Jonathan Ross and Neil Gaiman go in search of Steve Ditko, and they have this really kind of awkward interview with stan lee and they're trying to coax something out of him and you can see that like he has this front where he's just like you know like excelsior i created them all and then he just kind of starts to squirm and he gets he gets really uncomfortable with the whole thing and he's he he just struggles to he doesn't want to admit that like steve had a huge hand in you know the process of you know helping him create yeah. Spider-Man, because in Stan, in his mind, like, he had the idea, so it's his, but, I mean, you could have well, someone... They, yeah, they, they specifically talk about that, and you and I have talked about that before, too, where they go into the, the notion where, you know, Stan Lee, you know, writes this letter, and it's like, and Stan Lee relented and said fine, and he wrote, I consider Steve Ditko to be the creator of Spider-Man. And then, and then, and then, of course, Steve Ditko came back and said, well, the definition of considered is, it does not mean you're admitting that I am the co-creator of Spider-Man. It's saying that you are, you, it's a consideration of yours that it's possible you may have had some involvement in the co-creation of Spider-Man. But you don't really recall it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, where you I mean, it's like, it, yeah. it's it's like we're considering you for this job. You have the job. There's a big difference. Yeah, there's a difference between you have the job and we're considering you for the job. So yeah, and and you know, and and of course at that point, like Stanley's like, well, I threw up my hands, and you're just like, yeah, but you you know, it's like one of those things where you're kind of like, but he's right. Like you know, it, it may be Mr. A black and white shit. <laughs> but Steve Ditko's fucking right. It is black or white. It's either he did fucking co-create it or he didn't. You know, like there's no there's no middle ground. Like you know, like like you know, it's it's one or the other. You know, and and it's like 
you know, I, I, I know it's part of the whole Mickey Mouse persona that Stanley has that they created mm-hmm. for him, you know, and, and, and him being this essentially icon that, that was part of the package that was Marvel Comics and stuff. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I, and, and again, this is not to me, like, you know, I, I know some people, you know, there's a, there is a backlash. It's, it's funny. Like first it was, people didn't realize about the things with Kirby and Ditko and all this other stuff. So then there became the backlash against Bob Kane and Stan Lee. But now it's almost like it comes full circle where, where now people are sick of people going to town on Stan Lee and Bob Kane. And there's a backlash against the backlash. You know what I mean? Right. Where yeah. people, people are sick and tired. It's like, you know, they don't want, say like this podcast, for example, they're like, what? I don't want to listen to this. This is just going to be a bash session on Stan Lee. And then they get all, you know, kind of butthurt and that's, you know, and that's the right, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if they don't want to hear about, you know, I don't want you to knock on Stan Lee. The guy's, you know, 100 years old, and he's the greatest guy, and he created them all. Fuck you, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Like, that's that's fine, you know, like, but but again, like, I, I guess all I was trying to impart was you do tend to, at some point, you know, in your own mind, you know, maybe take sides on those things. And, and I, I just got to say, you know, it's like, it's like one of those things where Tarantino's like, you know, you can like them both. You can like Elvis and the Beatles both, but you know, ultimately deep down, like you're either an Elvis person or you're a Beatles person. You know what I mean? And and for me, I'm like, okay, sorry, I'm an Elvis DC fanboy <laughs> who, who fucking sides with Jack Kirby. Like that's just who I am at my core. Doesn't mean I fucking hate Stan Lee. Doesn't mean I fucking hate the Beatles. Doesn't mean I don't like Marvel comics, but in my heart of hearts, I'm a DC Elvis fucking, I stand <laughs> with Jack fucking Kirby. Like guy, like that's who I am. And that's, that's all there is to it, you know? So you know, as far as that goes, that's, that's it, you know? There, there was another thing that I was like, I guess I bought into as a kid and I didn't realize it was not real was the whole idea of the wacky bullpen. Uh, uh, okay. I was like, wait, you mean, you mean these guys weren't all like sitting around the office drawing and like having fun and like pitching ideas off of each other. It was just like a little office and, you know, stand and flow and they would just kind of come in and drop off the artwork and shoot the breeze. And that would, that's like, that's it. I was just, I was just like, am I like, I don't know, naive or something, or did I just like buy into that too much as a kid? Because um, I, I was, know, I was. You know what's funny though, when they talk about the whole, you know, Mike Carlin, Mark Grunewald days, like it seems like they somehow made that a reality. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself because I, I kind of feel like they. I, I know what you're saying. Like you're saying the. For the entirety of Marvel's history, yes, that that could be called into question. But I think I think when we were growing up reading it, maybe maybe there. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I'm like, when we were growing up, there was a bullpen. It was fun. <laughs> but you know, like I mean, yeah. I, I I remember those moments in the in the book where they talk about how they were making uh, little what do they call it little fortresses out of the the office furniture and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like, well, that yeah. that doesn't sound like you know what I mean. Like that does sound like this environment where they were they were trying to propagate you know the the fun and creative aspects of of that job and everything i wanted to ask you like this this book starts at the very beginning you know when it's timely and i think it goes into like the death of ultimate spider-man like was there a favorite era in this book that you were like really keen on like hearing stories from hmm i guess 
I, I, I mean, I guess, you know what was interesting about it was, I may be avoiding the question, but like, I, I feel like there was a point where I'm listening to this book, essentially, right? And, and it's telling me things that are before my time, literally, like before I was born, right? So you're talking about, you know, timely and atlas comics you know and you're like okay we're going into martin goodman and stan lee is this little intern and speaking of stan lee like i mean even how he got the job i mean you know nepotism hello like you know what i mean like anyway sorry sorry people i'm just saying <laughs> but you know so so you go into this whole thing right and it's like and and then and then it goes into you know okay well it, it, to me, it's interesting because because Jack Kirby seems to be also. I mean, one thing you can say about it is, as much as I'm on Jack Kirby's side, it's definitely not a fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me. It's like he went. I mean, not like he had a whole hell of a lot of choice, right? Because I guess the only games in town were like Marvel and DC for the most part, right? But it seems like he started with Marvel, got pissy with Marvel during the Atlas days, went over to DC, did a bunch of Boy Commando stuff and the Guardian, and all that shit, and then at some point, he somehow came back to Marvel, did all the great Marvel stuff, you know, the the Silver Age of Marvel, but then, you know, towards the end of it, you know, it's like, towards the tail end of the, the Lee Kirby run, it's like, again, he, he had the falling out with them, and then went over to DC, you know, and then, and then again, it's like, then he, he had the falling out with DC, and then he went back to Marvel and did Black Panther and Eternals and all that other stuff, you know, and it's like, it's like he got bounced back and forth to, to what he could do, maybe, you know, I think the way they, they may sell it in the book is, you know, he's a working guy, he was supporting his family, he took the jobs he could take and all that stuff, and it seems like he didn't really have a sense of vindication or, or maybe true appreciation until he was just being like, involved in the Hollywood animation industry. You know what I mean? Like, it seemed like, it seemed like once he was doing stuff where he did designs for, um, why can't I think of the name now? What's Thundar. Thundar, yeah, when he was doing, like, Thundar designs and stuff. Thank you. I, I can't remember shit anymore. I'm old, Justin, I'm old, don't <laughs> get old. Um, but anyway, when he's doing the stuff for Thundar, like, you, you're like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it, it just seemed like there were a, a whole bunch of people like Mark Avenier who idolized him. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you could tell, like, like th they loved him and, like, there was a genuine sense of appreciation, whereas they, they weren't just recognizing he was talented and taking advantage of him. They were... They, they genuinely appreciated this guy. You know what I mean? Like, and like I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, in, in some sense, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's the happy ending, you know? Like, because you could tell there's there, there was a lot of fucking bad blood between him and Lee. Like, especially when Roz is like, don't, don't talk to him. You know, like, yeah. I mean, it was interesting because at the very end, it's like he asked if it was okay to come to the funeral and she let him come, right? Yeah, the, the, there the, was a... Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. The, I mean, I was just thinking about that because the the don't don't talk to him thing was, I think, what at like Comic Con where he was trying to like we should we should do something together again, Jack. And it was like, you know, she's like, I don't think so, you know, like that kind of thing. I I thought it was interesting, and maybe I like overprepped for this, but the first episode of Robert Kirkman's Secret History Comics is a basically about Stan and Jack, mm -hmm. and. There, there was a moment, there was a story told by Jim Shooter that's not in this book, and it's like the 25th anniversary of Marvel. They're having this big party, and like, Stan's like, you know, he's a little tipsy, and he's like, hey, everybody, and you know, like, Seltzer and whatnot, and then Jack 
and his wife walk in and you know jim was like man i didn't i didn't think he would show up and he like he went up to him and was talking to him and then like stanley came over and they had some you know they had some pleasant conversation and then stan was like hey jack you know maybe you know we should do a comic you know one more you know you know once more into the breach that kind of thing and yeah basically yeah. roz was like no way and they yeah. turned around and left i was just like man i think maybe i heard that before because because maybe he told the same story on the the kirkman show as he did on that that interview that i watched with him that i told you about that like you know seven hour long thing where right. I, I watched it over like the course of a week or something like that but you know I, I i definitely remember that story you know where it was just like you're like you know and she's like no fucking way you know mm. and that, like that's only that only comes from place that a wife like this this extreme love and and protectiveness like I, I don't know how to convey that other than like y- you can just feel that in your in your gut you know that yeah. that that protectiveness that like that that kind of you know lion protecting you know her 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 husband or what you know what I mean like that just yeah. just it's very visceral like that story you know and and, and it, you know it may just be because you know Jim Shooter has a, a good good way of telling stories do you know what i mean like that mm-hmm. that he, he makes it as impactful as as you feel it you know but but that's you know it, it's funny how they they like to me i'm uh, you think about how how much maligned that guy gets you know yeah. with, with with you know a, a great deal of the the creative community and stuff and like 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 i was telling you when i watched that interview i mean it was like one of those things where it was really um there were points in it where you you felt emotionally drained from watching that interview with him because there there were points where he's like look man like you know i have nothing against these people but some of them like just hated my fucking guts and i don't know you know i was just doing a job but they they took it they took it super personally or whatever and and i i do not hold any personal grudges against them and and you just kind of went wow like that's because when they talk about like that effigy party yeah they, that was they, crazy they, they they made the the little jim shooter fucking voodoo doll or whatever they did and <laughs> stuck to all the goddamn like you know when they talk about stuff like that like and again i i you know again this is me revealing my colors where i'm like e- even though i've had the chance to meet jim shooter at a number of conventions and i i've sort of not done it and maybe because i watched that interview and i feel like i don't know i don't know how to explain it but it's like one of those things where you feel like it'd be kind of weird to meet him in person or something or i i I wasn't sure if i had good enough stuff for him to sign or i don't know what my maybe i'm just kind of scared of meeting him or something but but i i haven't i haven't actually done it even though i've had the opportunity multiple times i guess i respect him a lot you know like and i i feel like you know he, he was somebody who who you know it, there, there was a sense of professionalism and 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 work ethic and and those kind of things whereas you know i i you know you hear the stories like i'm, I'm sure you're kind of like a gene colon guy right and you hear the stories yeah. about how he always makes gene colon like oh gene redraw this or do this and it's like and in some sense like i can you know it's like one of those things like i can see both sides of it because it's that it's that weird greg capullo and Scott Snyder first clashing meeting that they talk about on Fat Man and Batman, where they're like, look, you know, Scott Snyder was used to, I write my script, 
I give the artist my full script and then they execute my full script, right? Because that's that was the method he was used to. Whereas I think Greg Capullo was maybe a little more used to the Marvel method, you know, where it was just like, all right, here's the basic plot, and then and then he would come back and actually change things, and then you know Stanley would you know fill in the fucking bubbles, and that would be that, right? And so it was this rude awakening to Scott Snyder to have to do that, and then you know I guess they 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 had their you know, they made their peace with that, and then it became this great collaboration that everybody, you know, wanks off to, even though I don't think it's that great, but, right. you know, wh- whatever, right? Like, that that's that's fine. Like, it, it is highly praised, and, and, and it worked out for them, right? And But, you know, sometimes you're sitting there thinking, like, like, you listen to these stories where it's like, oh, Gene Colan got handed a Captain America story, and it's like the Captain America story was like Captain America, you know, goes to the park, there's a car chase for a page, and then the rest of the issue, it's like he, he tracks down the Red Skull, finds Nick Fury, frees him, punches the Red Skull. But then Gene Cullen's like, oh, I just watched Bullet, man, so like, I want to draw this car chase. And they, they go into the story about how it's like he was expecting, you know, 19 pages, uh, and it's like, they're like, well, where's the, you know, where's the saving Nick Fury? Where's the fight with the Red Skull? It's like, here's like 20 pages of a fucking car chase. You know, and it's like, he wasn't you know, you know what I mean? Like that, that it's like, that's fine, but that's not what you, you were paid for. Like thing. I, I don't know. Like, like there, there, there are those things where it's like, I, I get the aspect of, Oh, this is creative and don't, don't hobble or, or limit the creativity. But then at the same time, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, well, there are certain parameters that you work within, within the framework, right? Like you, you have to tell the story within so many pages, you know, you have to, you know, like, you know, put those books out on time. Like, like I found all that stuff very interesting because it seems like, you know, sometimes people didn't, didn't learn the lessons from other things. Like, like I I was thinking about, I guess my favorite aspect was getting to the era that I read which would be the eighties, right? Like I was kind of describing like, you know, timely and, 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 and the silver age of Marvel. Like I was not alive during those times and I can hear stories about it, but I wasn't in, you know, I wasn't in the trenches. I wasn't in the shit. Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. When those were going on. Right. But I was during the 80s and the 90s and and then you know the 2000s and everything so once you get into those you're like oh not only was i there but i remember some of this but then it has another layer of context to it because now you're finding out you know things that you may not have been privy to like the fact that you know dazzler was going to be a movie star or some shit you know what i mean like so you're like oh weird i i knew of that you know i was in the shit when dazzler was had a comic, but I didn't realize they were trying to make her this, this, you know, Bo Derek Dazzler movie star, you know, like that kind of thing. And so I, I, I know it was a long winded roundabout way to get to the answer, but I mean, I, I would think for me, I, I guess I, I sort of started perking up when I was like, Oh, here's the shit I lived through, you know, like here's the, the stuff I was there for. And what I thought was kind of interesting was everybody gave Jim Shooter a bunch of crap for wanting to do essentially what was ultimate Marvel back in the eighties. Yeah. Like, and I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, you know, you know, I may sit here all day long and, and kind of make fun of ultimate Spider-Man or Marvel comics or whatever. Right. But I mean, at the time, Spider-Man was pretty fucking broken. 
So, I mean, I'm not going to tell you I didn't read Ultimate Spider-Man, because I did. You know, like, I mean, that was probably one of the better books of the whole goddamn run. I mean, I, you know, I turned my nose up at Ultimate X-Men, but I did read Ultimate Spider-Man. And, and, and that notion that, you know, oh, maybe it's time to, you know, restart things. I mean, it, it, it's, it's funny because but part of me sees the reaction the creators had as legitimate, too, because, you know, their reaction is, well, why would we do this? Five years from now, it'll be just as muddled and continuity-laden as it was now, you know, like, it, it'll still be that way, and, and, and you can see that with, like, perfect 2020 hindsight from when Ultimate Spider-Man 1 came out, and from when Ultimate Spider-Man 150 came out, do you know what I mean, like, where you're, like, sitting there going, wow, you, you thought the X-Men were hard to get into because Chris Claremont wrote, you know, 300 issues of whatever, it's like, well, guess what, now it's like, we're starting from Ultimate X-Men 1, you don't need to know anything, but then by the time you get to, like, Robert Kirkman and, and all these other guys working on Ultimate X-Men after Mark Millar, right, like, that's... You know, now you're back to where you started. Now it's like Wolverine is really Cable from the future with claws and my head hurts just trying to explain it to you. You know, and it's like you're, you're just back to where you started with this convoluted kind of nonsense that, that, you know, no one can just pick up a, a comic and understand what the hell's going on without reading the last, you know, 70 issues of Ultimate X-Men. I, I think I'm like you were, I think... My favorite era would be, like you said, the you know the stuff that you lived through. So it would be like you know, mid '80s, and then probably like mid '80s to like the late '90s or something. And yeah, then yeah. I I was like intensely listening to them discuss the Clone Saga mm. because like you know they're talking about it, and I'm you know I'm like flashing back to like when I was a kid buying them off the rack, and you know they're kind of like oh we you know this can't just be a, a a four-month thing, we're going to, like, make it, you know, last. And it ended up being, like, two years, and it was this huge convoluted thing, and, you know, the writers wanted to get out of it, and they were like, you know, how do we deal with, you know, the baby and all that stuff? And, like, no one really wanted to to deal with the whole, like, Mary Jane's pregnant thing. And I was just like, man, that's – I don't know, like, when you were listening to this, did you, like, get a feeling that maybe – you were hearing stories like you shouldn't or like the curtain well, had been parted and you were seeing it, like Oz and the magic. It is, to, to me, to, the, the, the thing that I think of is, you know, you know the phrase like you don't want to know how the sausage is made. Right. right. Like like there there is a lot of that to this book. I mean, if you I, I think I think the good parts of it were kind of like, look at, you know, if, if you looked at it as the underdog done right story you know you, you could just follow the arc of oh poor stan lee all he wanted to do was have successful marvel movies in hollywood and then you get to the end of the story and it's like and now there are like hundreds of successful movies from marvel in hollywood yay and that's like the good part of the story but like you know if you if you really look at it it's like it, this shows you sort of how the sausage was made and and how people backstabbed each other over the sausage and 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 you know how how people really it it, it seemed like there there were lots of politics and power struggles and and all this kind of stuff and 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 it seems funny because sometimes you you know unfortunately like with hindsight and if you have no involvement in it other than being a fan 
you know, sometimes you can not get too caught up in the person's personal stakes in it. But, you know, part of it is these are all real, you know, human beings and people who had families and they had to put, you know, food on the table and all that other kind of stuff. So in in some sense, like, it's almost like realizing like, well, oh, if I didn't spend that 75 cents on the Clone Saga, like somebody... Somebody was out of a job or whatever. Or like, you know, that segment where they talked about how when, when I think it was Labdell or whoever wrote the, the North Star coming out of the closet comic, you know, Alpha Flight 106 or whatever. And, and they, you know, those execs just kind of were like, you know, what the fuck is this? You know, and, and, and how they, they kind of talked down to, you know, whoever, whoever was handling that and everything. And you just went, wow, like, you know, there, it was like, there's no filter or no HR to speak of, you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's, there's no checks and balances in place, you know, whether it's that or, or, you know, in, in some sense, I mean, you could also apply it to professionalism too, where it's like, I, I think, and, and maybe, maybe this is again, reflective on me. Maybe this is just me being a DC Elvis I side with Jack Kirby, Jim Shooter type guy or whatever. But, like, part of me is, like, fucking writer-editors? Like, what the fuck is that? Like, I I don't even get that. Like, like, did you key in on any of that at all? Or is that just me? I, I always kind of thought that that was a weird thing. You're telling me Steve Gerber writes his own book and edits it? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know, like, like that seems like you're getting paid for two jobs and only doing one. I mean, I, and I don't know if I'm just being a douche about it or what, but like, I, I get why Jim Shooter was like, what is this shit? We got to get rid of this right away. Like, this is bullshit, you know, like, like, so, I mean, that I kind of understood, like, and maybe it's just me going, oh man, look at all those fucking hippie guys writing Marvel comics in the seventies. Like, good, get all those tree huggers out of my fucking comics or whatever. But like that. That was one of those things where I was like, I guess I didn't understand some of it, you know, and and like, I think some of those stories in the 70s were definitely, you know, new to me, or at least new in the way like, you know how like when you read Dark Knight Returns, and you're, well, I don't know, maybe you don't, but, but when I was a little kid, and I read Dark Knight Returns, I was like nine or 10, like, I did not understand why Catwoman ran an escort service and was dressed up like Wonder Woman and was tied up and beaten to shit by the Joker, right? Like, I didn't get it. I didn't get why Batman was kissing her, even though she was all beat up and fat and whatever. Like, I, I all I knew was, oh, that's Catwoman? Okay, that's weird. And that that's all my little kid brain could process. Of course, now as an adult, you're like, oh... Selena Kyle, you know, Frank Miller made her a prostitute, and then later in Dark Knight Returns, she's an escort, she's like the madam of the service, and Joker dressed her up as Wonder Woman and did all this kinky, stupid shit to her, and now you have this whole extra how-the-sausage-is-made layer to that, and I kind of feel the same way about some of those 70s books, where it's like, oh, wait, you mean all these guys were, like, you know, zonked out on, you know, weed or whatever when they were coming up with, like, you know, warlock stories or something, you know, like I didn't know that, but whatever. I mean, you know, it's, it's whatever. I mean, some, some of it, like, I don't know, man, like Steve Gerber seems to like really hate the world. And of course, you know, me being the I side with shooter guy, like I laugh my ass off at secret wars two, number one, where they have the little Gerber guy become like thunder lad or whatever his name is. And then he blows up NBC and it's like, whoops, (laughs) 
I blew up. It's like when he cries and everything. Like the breakdown moment's supposed to be like the Oscar moment. But these days I read it and I laugh my ass off because I think it's funny. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like you, you profess harmony and, and acceptance and tolerance and logic and all this other stuff. But when you actually get superpowers, what do you do? You blow up the place you work and laugh and lorded over people so like that's it, it's kind of like to me like the the you know the elite and the authority it's like the these almost you know fascistic kind of liberal bastions of we're doing this because we think it's right and it doesn't matter what the fuck you say because we're right you know like so it's like eh, you know i don't know i'm probably talking way too much about stupid shit i shouldn't be talking about but you know like that's that's some of the things I, that ended up being on my brain when when you're you know when you're reading listening to this this book and everything because there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on and I don't you know it's interesting because they they really do play up the Howard the Duck thing and I think it's because it had that through line of Stan Lee was just you know just a little boy who wanted to make movies and by the end of it you've got all these multi million dollar you know, Marvel Studios movies, and that's the happy ending. But you, you have to sort of explain, like, dude, you know, Howard the Duck, the film was all we had, and it was a total bomb. You know, like, you, you sort of have to explain the road bumps before you get to the happy ending. And then on top of that, you sort of have to explain what Howard the Duck is and the comics and all that stuff. So again, it's like that fine line of, like, sometimes you're sitting there going, I don't need to be explained to about the Galactus trilogy, like, I know this shit, or I don't need to be explained to about the Clone Saga, I lived through the goddamn Clone Saga, or whatever, right? But, you sort of have to explain that to get to the tidbits that people might not know about. And if, if I had any criticism to level against the book, it's like, it, it sort of falsely predicates that it's going through the, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I like things, like, if you're gonna do something historically, like, to me, sometimes it's helpful when you go in order, even though this gave the facade of going in order, like, where they're like, we're starting with Timely, now we're gonna go to the Silver Age and talk about Stan and Jack, and then we're gonna go to the wacky 70s era, where everybody was free-floating and fancy, and, you know, it's like, we, we had, uh, what was it, like, Marv Wolfman and Roy Thomas were the editors-in-chief, and then, you know, it's like, then we got to, you know, Jim Shooter in the 80s and the New Universe, and and, you know, Secret Wars, and all this other stuff, and then, you know, then we got to Mark Grunewald, and, you know, Mike Carlin, and these guys, and then, you know, it's like, then it gets into the whole, you know, toy biz, and, and, you know, bankruptcy, and, you know, the X books, and all these little fiefdoms that they had, and all these little warring factions, and stuff, and, you know, Bob Harris is an asshole, and blah, 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 and all, all this kind of stuff, right, and then, and then you get into the, you know, okay, then it's like the new millennium thing, and the, you know, you know, Joey Quesada pants, and, and all these guys, you know, they come in, and they do the Marvel Knights, and then pretty soon they're running the whole company, and everybody's mad because they're doing Heroes Reborn, and, you know, that that was something that was interesting, was, was people, you know, the, I don't think I ever considered this, but, you know, the people that were super, super butthurt over Heroes Reborn, you know, like, the, the fact that they outsourced Marvel characters to other people. I mean, I was even reading it at the time. Like, I was reading Mark Wade and Ron Garney's Captain America before Heroes Reborn, and then Heroes Reborn came out, and it's like, what? Why the fuck did they do this? 
the Captain America book was really good. Like, what the fuck? Like, but, and, and I think a lot of people were like, that were working on those books were like, what the fuck? This is my paycheck. You know, like, like I was, you know, I, I thought I had a steady gig or whatever. And now my steady gig on, you know, Fantastic Four or Iron Man or whatever it was, you know, like, like all those, those you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not very well read on Terry Cavanaugh you know, uh, doing Iron Man or whatever, but I know you guys all talk about, you know, the modular armor and how you grew up reading it and this and that. And it's like Mm -hmm. that kind of comic, you know, like, like, you know, I know like teen Tony and all this other stuff, but (laughs) you know, somebody was getting paid and, and, and they thought they had a steady gig. And then all of a sudden it was like, Nope, fuck you. Will Sportatio is doing it now, you know, like, and, and so like those kind of things were, were, definitely hit home you know seeing how the sausage is made and seeing how it you know basically it's like oh look we took the sausage away from these guys and now it's like jim lee and rob liefeld are gonna make the sausage you know it's gonna be awesome there's gonna be speed lines and 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 pouches on the sausage and all this other shit right yeah like you're like oh okay you know like that's that's fine did somebody else thought they were gonna get to make the sausage too you know right when i mean i remember at the time when i read that happened i was just like I was confused. I was like, why in the world would you replace Ron Garney with Rob Liefeld? That makes like that made no sense to me. And I like I was I was probably like their, you know, target demographic at the time, but like I was not crazy about Rob Liefeld. I was like, dude, you know, I was like, you know, I was like this Mark Wade, Ron Garney run, like this is awesome. Like I was reading all those books at the time yeah. and I was like, wait, you mean you're gonna like stop everything I'm reading and it's gonna like start over but it's going to be weird and different and you're going to have creators i'm not that crazy about like i don't know <laughs> well like you you know you want to talk about like other stuff where i'm just like oh i remember when this happened like towards the end they started talking about like the peter david bill Jameis, like you know the the captain marvel versus the marvel oh, thing yeah, yeah, and like yeah, yeah. see like i i had like a uh subscription to comic buyer's guide for years and like i remember because peter david had a but i digress column the very last page of comic buyer's guide i remember he would like go on tirades of you know you want to talk about just just up my my philistine non non non-reading cred just a little bit i one of the last books i can remember going through in detail was those comics buyer's guide columns the but i digress ones they mm -hmm. were all collected as a book Right. I remember. I remember reading that, like, and kind of getting a kick out of it. But you know, I don't mean to interrupt. But no, it's you know, it's fine. Yeah. But like he, you know, sometimes Peter David would get on a kick, and he would kind of rant against McFarlane, yeah, you know, yeah. or, or whatever. Well, but they, like they used to have, they used to have all those letters, like between him and Larson. Like they used to yeah. go at it. That's that's why I thought it was hilarious when Eric Larson finally took over Aquaman, and it sucked complete ass. Because it's like <laughs> yeah. you're like you you talk all this fucking smack. But when it comes time to write, like, a good Aquaman story, it's like, you know, not for nothing. Like, Peter David might be a complete fucking asshole in real life and run around <laughs> asking people to pay his fucking taxes because he's a <laughs> fucking douchehead. But you know what I'll give him? At least he writes a good fucking story. I'll give him that. You know what I mean? Like, he may be all those things, but he writes a good fucking story. Whereas Eric Larson, you know, I don't know. You know, like, I don't think so. But I was just like, I remember this because, you know, Peter David was kind of like ranting about Bill Jameis and his column and stuff. And then I thought it was really interesting when they were like talking about that, the Marvel book and like 
I think it was Mich- Michelle Pfeiffer. She was like talking to someone from Marvel, and she saw one of those books, and she was just like, you know, I, I would not let my son read this, but you know, because she was like, look at the cover, you know, it was like the Sarah Michelle Gellar s cover and all this stuff, and I was just like, yeah, I, I could kind of, I could kind of see that. <laughs> I mean that that's something that's interesting too is when when as as you're reading it if you want to put the blame on somebody I guess we could go back to Stan Lee for running the college circuit and hawking Marvel comics to all the college kids that were you know anti-authority and and smoking dope and all that other shit right because that's that's part of who he was catering to like this he wanted to be appreciated by this larger audience other than you know like you get the vibe like DC they had their stock stories in the file cabinets where it's like these were always going to be for, you know, six to eight year olds. And, and you hear the stories about Mort Weisinger and all this other stuff where it's like their theory was the half-life of a comic reader, you know, was like six years or something, like ten years. I don't know what. Basically, it was like, oh, you know, from from six to six to maybe 12, like you've got them, right? But then after that, like, they all grow up and they're like too old for that shit. So it's like, then all you need to do is either reprint or retell the same. I mean, that's why you've got these Superboy stories where it's like Superboy, you know, fucking hits a rock. And then it's like five years later, it's like Superboy hits a gold rock, you know, it's like, and then five years later, Superboy hits a rainbow rock, you know, it's like, but it's basically all the same fucking story, right? Like, but it's like because they were expecting this half-life of people that's why when you you know it's like you read those stories it's like you know superman becomes a fucking lion right but then it's like they tell it later or they reprint it or you know it becomes a giant size special or whatever you know and and it's because they expected the kids to phase out after a certain point in time and then why bother coming up with new stories when you're just telling the same stories to a different set of kids that will eventually phase out, you know? But it seems like what happened with, you know, uh, appealing to older audiences, you know, whether it's, you know, you want to, I don't know, put the blame on Frank Miller and Watchmen or whatever you want to do, right? Like, those stories were aimed at a different audience and a demographic that essentially, like, you know, it kind of stuck with the comics for a long time, right? And so now they haven't aged out, and you don't really have too many, I don't know. I mean, they talk about new readers all the time, but I don't, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I don't buy it, and then sometimes you got to wonder, well, they're withholding, you know, digital, you know, sales information and all this other stuff. So maybe there's stuff we're not privy to, but, you know, it, it seems like, a lot of people are always kind of, you know, the guy, you know, basically they're all Walter Kovacs and Watchmen with the end is nigh sign when it comes to the comic industry. Like, even in this thing, it seemed like, you know, there was that thing where it's like, you know, going back to the funny narrator where they're like, and Marv Wolfman said, we wouldn't be surprised if comics were dead by the end of the year and you wouldn't be working in this industry for much longer, you know, and and you're just like sitting there going like, even in the eighties, they were already kind of screaming the end is nigh for comic books, yeah. you know, whereas now here we are in, you know, 2017, you know, because, uh, well, without getting too much into it, but because 
you know, certain, certain aspects of life and economy and things like that have been so fucked. Like, it's almost like the Great Depression was back when comics, superhero comics first took their boom. So I, m my only equation is that's why all these superhero movies, you know, in a roundabout way are doing so well is because people want that heroic escapism, the, the, you know, good guy saves the day type thing and stuff, you know, in their, in their films and everything. And that's why a lot of these things took off in the way that they have, but, you know, not really for the, the medium of comics, but, you know, for all these multi-million dollar, you know, billion dollar grossing movie franchises, but you know, that, and, and that's, that, you know, that's kind of how they end the story. I mean, you know, some things I felt like, you know, it's weird. I probably maybe under prepped for this, I guess, you know, cause I'm just trying to pull things out of my ass to remember, but like, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the stuff in this book, like sometimes there were things and I, I can't name anything in, you know, specificity, but like sometimes there were things where I listened to it and went, you know, yes, that seems accurate. Yes, that seems right. But but sometimes I would listen to things and go, no, man, fuck you. Like, that's not, I I was there. I lived this. Like, this is, what you're talking about is not like, right, you know? Like, Don't tell me it didn't happen. I saw it yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking uh, the crazy Romulan uh, uh, Bruce Banner, you know, telling people that shit did, did, did happen, you know? Like, but. I, yeah, I mean, I can't think of like specific examples, but there, there, there seem to be occasions like that where I, I would just kind of be like, what? No, like, that's not right, you know, or whatever. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot to unpack in, in, in this, this book and, and everything it covers. I, I mean, I, again, I guess, like I said, that I, I was trying to get back to my criticism of the book and I, I, I know I was talking about that a long time ago, but like, the chronological thing, like, I feel like it's a facade because, like, sometimes they talk about, like, to me, what I remember most specifically is, because I was so bored by it, is they go into the Galactus Trilogy synopsis, but then, like, ten minutes later, they're talking about, like, the first time the Hulk showed up, you know? And it's like, sometimes it threw mm -hmm. me the, the way they would tackle stories because because maybe the the story itself was a good snippet but it's like they were trying to figure out where to place it in the chronology of this book and sometimes i'm like why did you get through telling me about the fantastic four's wedding but then you know 20 minutes before we had already said something about reed and sue being married and had a kid you know what I mean? Like, like I, I mean, I, I know that's not really probably the best example, but it, it seemed to be like every once in a while, like things wouldn't quite line up, you know, chronologically for me, and uh, and I wonder, like, why, why did you decide to tell this particular story at this particular point? And and like sometimes things were written. And you felt like they were written for the layman, and that might account for some people like us that, you know, maybe, okay, y you may be bored, but you know what, like, your average Joe on the street doesn't really have any context for the Galactus trilogy, right? So mm -hmm. you, you kind of set that up for them. That's fair. I get that, but it seemed like there were other things where I don't know if it was a rights thing or whatever, and here's something very specific where I remember they, they started talking about, 
you know, create her own stuff and they, they, you know, they have to sort of go into image and all this other stuff. And eventually they even subtly went into the Ultraverse, but they didn't call out Sludge by name. They didn't say, oh yeah, Steve Gerber wrote Sludge, the Malibu comic, you know, like, right, but, right. but they, they made this like offhanded, like clever, clever remark about, and Steve Gerber came up with a muck man who was a cop and he was in the sewer and he was made of muck. And you're like, well, unless you're fucking balls deep in comics, like you and I are, who the fuck is going to know about Sludge? You know what I, I mean? You know, not to take away from yeah. Sludge, but, you know, <laughs> you you had to be balls deep in 90s comics, super, super balls deep into the Ultraverse to to get the sly comment about Sludge. Now, I don't know if they can't talk about Sludge because then they have to give, like, Steve Gerber a, a buck or something. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what, you know, maybe that's what it is or something. But it, it just seemed odd to me that at some points... They they really went out of their way to explain things to the layman, and then at some points it was so subtle that you you had to be a freaking comic scholar to to chuckle at what the guy was saying. And you know, yeah, okay, I'm putting myself on a, a high perch saying I chuckled, right? I am the expert, right? That I got what he was saying, but but I you know I think there are some people that you know it's like well, is the layman going to get that he made a reference to Sludge? Like, I don't think so, you know? You know, something I thought was interesting along these lines is, in prepping for this, I listened to a podcast where the author was the guest, and the host was kind of talking up the Ditko era Spider-Man and the Kirby Fantastic Four, and he was asking him specific questions about the creation of the Fantastic Four and all this stuff, and he was kind of just going on and just really building up Fantastic Four number one. He was like, man, it's monumental, and it launched an era, blah, 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 you know, the usual kind of stuff that you hear. And in the book, the author was not very kind to Fantastic Four number one, which I can get the art is a little, you know, uneven and whatnot. And basically the author said, well, have you read Fantastic Four number one? And the guy was kind of, he just kind of stammered, and he was like, uh, uh, well, no, and, you know, I've never actually read any, like, 60s Fantastic Four or <laughs> Spider-Man. And I was just like, okay, okay. So that those synopsis that bore us, like, they're for that guy. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. That's probably... Well, yeah, that's so funny, too. Like, that that's the kind of stuff that, like, drives me nuts where I'm like, you know, I, I, I know this is my pet peeve and it doesn't have too much to do with what we're talking about other than I buy comic related action figures, but I can't stand it when it's like, why did you buy that? Cause it looks cool. Do, do you know what that is? No. Do you know what comic book it's from? No. Like I'm the guy who's like, wait, I bought a gem son of Saturn figure. I better understand who the hell gem son of Saturn is. So I sat down and read the 12 issue miniseries and I did not enjoy it. But I read it, and, like, at least now I know, like, who... You know, it's like, uh, if somebody asks me, hey, what's that dude in your shelf? And I'll be like, well, sir, that is Jem, son of Saturn, who was drawn by Gene Holland. <laughs> and he h hangs out with a, a nice little black boy for the majority of the 12-issue miniseries. And he was originally supposed to be, like... The, the kid version of Martian Manhunter. He was going to be Martian Manhunter Jr. But then they wrote a Justice League storyline where the Martians came back and attacked the Justice League, and that totally scrapped the, the, the notion that this 
guy Jem was going to be son of Mars, so they said, fuck it, we'll make him the son of Saturn, and it became this totally different thing, but it's like... I mean, it's it's like when you see someone, you know, it's like, oh, like, you see someone out on the street or whatever in a bookstore, and you're like, oh, dude, like, that's a really cool, like, Gwynpool shirt you're wearing, and, it, and the guy's just like, uh, I don't know who this is, I just thought it was cool, right, and I'm like, right. okay, okay, yeah. like, what, why... Why would you, you know, buy the shirt and wear it and you have See, no that, knowledge that, of what it represents? That's where we get into that thing of, you know how people want to be inclusive and say, like, it doesn't matter, like, you can be a fan and it doesn't matter, like, what you know or how much you know and all this other stuff. And they're really going out of their way to be like, it's fine, people can cosplay, people can do this, people can wear t-shirts. But, you know, I, I think there's something to it where you're like, dude, if you don't know what the fuck is on the t-shirt you're wearing, dude, something's wrong. Like, Derek, wait, who is Alan Davis? Yeah, I don't know who Alan Davis is. <laughs> like, but, like yeah. Dale Keown, who's that artist? Yeah, who's that guy? I don't know. Who That's that an guy. old joke for our listeners. But, um, yeah. You know, something I was kind of rolling back and forth in my head, you know, we were, it's like the book kind of talks about how people in the industry kind of wanted Stan and Jack to fail. Like, there were people kind of snickering, or like, you know, uh, Stan, you know, he wants Ant Man and no one gives a crap, or, you know, people kind of wanted kirby's black panther or uh eternals to fail like at one point did it go from we want these guys to fail to we revere and respect them i was like like what's the transition between that that's that's kind of like what i was kind of fascinated by and it's it doesn't really some, some of it i would think has to do with what we were talking about with the whole transition to Jack doing animation, right? Because mm. you've got him doing Thundar, you've got him doing all the character designs for superpowers. Mm. And then you've got a whole generation like us who grew up on Thundar and superpowers. And then and then imagine then you don't know. I mean, you're a little kid, right? You don't know who created the fucking character designs for Thundar when you're a little kid, right? You right. don't know that you don't know that Jack Kirby created Darkseid. All you know is, holy shit, Darkseid's fucking cool. He's got <laughs> fucking light piping, motherfucker. Like he's awesome. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then and then you get told, like, okay, Jack Kirby created Darkseid. And you're like, wait, and and, and there's this, you know, I I, I think uh, I can't remember, but you know, maybe this book or something else, you know, seemed to present it as, you know, and Jack Kirby's New Gods, which was like Game of Thrones meets Star Wars, or what, you know, whatever, whatever fucking pitch they pitched it at, right. right? And you're like sitting there going, basically, there's there's lots of intrigue, there's lots of backstabbing, there's lots of family dynamics in the New Gods, you know, and, and that's what they're trying to convey by the little Hollywood elevator pitch of you know Game of Thrones meets Star Wars. But when you when you experience that for the first time then you're kind of like, oh, holy crap, you're like, this is cool, you know? And, like, I, I would think there's there's indications like that. And I'm sure there's stuff like that for people, you know, with Stan Lee, too, where, you know, it's like, you know, the people that like to revisit the, the Lee Ditko Spider-Man, you know, and, and kind of go back to the moments where it's like, look at that moment where, you know, Peter Parker was was trapped under the wreckage and they did that first scene where it's like, this is for Aunt May, this is for, you know, whatever. And, and he, 
and fucking, you know, finally lifts it up. I mean, that stuff is recreated in movies. It's it's redone like every, you know, I don't know, 50 issues in fucking Spider-Man where they run out of furry They ideas. They just did a homage to it in the latest issue of Venom I read. Yeah. Where, so, like, Venom is having that moment. I was just like, okay, it's a little odd, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, it's like I'm, I'm sure there are things like that where you can look at it. And then, of course, then, you know, of course, if you want to, you know, wreck you know, the sausage and see how it's made, it's like, then you got to sit there and go, well, how much of that was Ditko? How much of that was Lee? You know, like, like what, 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 you know, I mean, you know, ultimately it's like, what do you do? Do you, is it a percentage ratio? You know, like, is it, you know, do, do you sit there and go, oh, Steve Ditko did 70% of the work and Lee did 30% of the work and then everybody gets mad at you? Did Lee do 50% of the work and Steve Ditko do 50% of the work? I don't think so, but maybe that's how people need to see it to uh, live with themselves you know like like that or, or whatever you know like where, where you're just like all right let's agree to disagree you know they they you know stan and jack did everything 50 50 and let's all be friends even though you know maybe in the back of our heads we we kind of think it's probably a different percentage proposition but you know regardless of that you know who did what like obviously all of them contributed in some way to a lot of famous moments you know i mean you know like as much as we were saying you know, oh the galactus trilogy and this put us to sleep like silver surfer is like one of my favorite characters i mean the galactus trilogy was huge right but when i was a kid like again it's the thing of like what did you know you knew the silver surfer but then it's like you get into this thing of well jack created the silver surfer and you're like, oh, like he brought that idea to Stan Lee and then they put it. It's like, you know, the the way they mostly tell the story is Stan Lee said, oh, go do this thing about this guy who comes to the planet. and He's going to eat it. And then he got the pages back and it's like, who's this guy on the surfboard? It's like, well, that's the Silver Surfer. It's like, oh, OK. But then somehow that became Lee's like, see, that was always weird to me because being a fan of Silver Surfer, like. I, I remember reading the comics and then and then reading the Judgment Day graphic novel and it being explained like, oh, you know, for a while it was super rare for anybody to write the surfer but Stan Lee. You know what I mean? Like that it was this huge deal that like somebody other than Stan Lee was going to write the Silver Surfer, like Steve Englehart or whoever else was, you know, Jim Starlin, you know, that were doing the ongoing series. But but then you're sitting there going like, why did that become his pet character? Like and, and you're like sitting there like that. That was part of that. The book that I felt bad about where they're like they didn't let Jack Kirby do the art on his own fucking character. Like, it almost makes you feel fucking guilty for loving all the John Buscema, Stan Lee, Silver Surfer comics. You know what it's, I mean? You know, it's kind of the reverse of the whole, like, Ditko, Lee, Spider-Man thing. It's like, Stan had the idea, Ditko illustrated. But with Surfer, it's like, Kirby had the idea and drew it, and then Stan put the characterization to it. And, and Does that yet, make sense? And, and yet, and yet, would Stan Lee consider himself a co-creator of Silver Surfer? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't Good know. Question though, but yeah, yeah. Since he didn't have the idea, I, Silver Surfer man, I created them all. <laughs> you know, like so. But yeah, yeah. You know, you you were talking about stuff that you knew as a kid, like. When I was a kid, I like I knew Secret Wars was cool, and I liked every issue. 
And then it, it was weird to me to hear them talk about Secret Wars in a completely different way because they were just like, you know, to them it was just to sell toys. Mm. And, you know, even though Jim Shooter wrote it, he was like, okay, we all know this is crap, but we got to have a sequel. And I was just like, that was like my, oh, man moment. I, or or maybe just like I'm I'm a mark or a <laughs> consumer, you yeah, know? But you, you know what's funny about that, though? I, I, I think there's a – look, you know what's funny is that book sold – very well that put shooter on the map right and like it seemed like there was you know i mean you know not for nothing like like john byrne is a good artist a good writer artist like he's a little weird but he's a good writer artist right but like i i kind of feel like there's some sense of like i i get the idea like some people felt like they were talked down to at some point like don't you know, they, they tried to go into examples where, you know, people were were told by Shooter as editorial, like, don't do it like this, do it like Secret Wars. Like, Secret Wars was this glistening example of how to do a comic right and stuff. But, like, I, I don't know, I just feel like there was a lot of jealousy over it, you know? Like, the people were just petty. What's interesting is, I don't remember which uh, thing it was with the author, but he said the book was originally going to have... 16 illustrations and he initially had approval from marvel and he was like okay cool everything's gonna work out and then he got the paperwork mm -hmm. and he read through it and basically it said you can use this artwork as long as you do not now or in the future criticize marvel entertainment or say anything negative and he was just like well you know that went out the window mm -hmm. yeah it's like oh well it's kind of like one of those things where you feel like if, if you do your podcast right and you get a sponsor, then it's like, well, you can't talk shit about that sponsor, right? Like, so it's it's like that whole, you know, that that's why those uh, nerd crew videos, the red letter media guys, do make me laugh, you know, regardless of who they're talking smack about, because it's it's inherently funny to me where it's like, that's so cool, you know, like it's like, I mean, it's like. I can have loot crate in my grave. You know, it's, like, it's like, what are you gonna fucking use it for? But like, well, that's, if, why it's, well that's why it's so funny. If, if anyone out there is listening, I love hot pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want, I want free hot pockets and some hot pocket sponsor monies. It'd <laughs> uh, uh, be rad if somebody who who actually had a position of power within hot pockets is like. And now, Fan Holes brought to you by Hot Pockets. Like, when I sit down to do prep work for the Fan Holes, I like to dig into a Philly cheesesteak Hot Pocket. <laughs> and that's the truth. I do like to do that. <laughs> Funny. It'd probably be like if uh, Sour Patch Kids was a sponsor. I'd be like, when Derek wants to get hopped up on sugar, only Sour Patch Extreme is the best thing for Derek. It's like, so... Get your get your big bag of Sour Patch Extreme! We'd have to edit out Tony, though, because when we met up, like, somehow we got off onto, like, eating food, and Tony was, like, basically admitted he, like, fucking hates Hot Pockets, so, like, we would have to, like, edit out Tony's, like, disparaging Hot Pocket remarks. So he's like, <laughs> it's like, and now Tony on Hot Pockets. <laughs> we just put a fucking Bumblebee from Transformers the Bee. <laughs> Or we just like Mr. Black him, you know, like yeah. on The Simpsons. <laughs> Mr. Black loves hot... It's like Tony loves hot pockets. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, 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 the thing that was interesting to me was, you know, seeing things in hindsight, you know, like the whole new universe being originally a plan to, you know, rebirth the Marvel universe and then kind of thinking, well, they did that with the ultimate universe. And like, it's like there were probably good ideas in regards to that. But then again, like, I, I, I think it was maybe DeFalco or somebody who was like, but you know, you know, 50 issues from now, it's still going to be the same convoluted mess that we're dealing with now. So why don't we just fix what we have now and, and move forward, you know? And, and, and even that seemed to, I went, well, that makes sense too, you know? Like, like, and, and then you start thinking about the new 52 and rebirth and all these things. And you're like, wow, it's like all this premonition kind of stuff that, you know, didn't happen or, or like, you know, that, that, that was something that Paul Spataro talked about on back to the bins where when they got to the story, I had heard about it. Like, I don't think I knew until Paul Spataro talked about it, but when they got to it in, if I had not heard him talk about it, I would not have known about it was the fact that it was on the table for Jim Shooter and Marvel to basically publish DC comics characters. Like, do you remember that part in the book where they're yeah, like, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Marvel would publish like Superman, Legion, Titans, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, you know, whatever it was. It was like eight or nine titles. And it was just like sitting there going, wow, like, you know, you know, I, I know they speculated about it and were kind of like, wow, what what would that have been like? You know, yeah. if 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 they had so if Marvel had somehow cornered the market and 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 they were publishing Superman comics and then and then, you know, of course, you start going down that rabbit hole. Like, does that mean Superman would be part of the Marvel Universe? Does that mean they would just you know, publish it as an imprint on its own and it would be its own little universe or, you know, like what, what would that be like, you know, or, or would it have gotten to the point where like with the Ultraverse characters, you know, Bomber Jacket, fucking Black Knight would be running around <laughs> and Superman, you know, hoarding fucking uh, Infinity Stones or whatever, mm. you know, like so. You know, the, the thing I thought was interesting about like Shooter's plan for the new universe initially was, you know, Peter Parker would die then there would be a new Spider-Man and, you know, so on with each classic character. If you think about it, they've kind of did that now because yeah. you have, you know, except they didn't die where it's like, you know, you have Miles and, you know, you have Riri Williams as Ironheart, yeah, which yeah. is like, you know, kind of a new Iron Man. I was like, I wonder if like all these things that have now came to pass, I wonder if like, you know, somewhere Shooter is just kind of like sitting back and he's like, you know, I was right. You guys should have listened because all this stuff happened you know i was like 30 years ahead of my time or something mm. you know if if you ever do meet him maybe you should ask him that question like mm, you ever just sit back and be like i was right <laughs> i was right it's like and shooter like the, the, this is the guy who does the audiobook and yeah. shooter sat back and said i was right <laughs> like that that's, that's basically the tone it's it's funny how he gets that intonation like when he gets like semi-excited about it's like and shooter said I was right, you know. It's like, it's like he, he sort of gets all excited for like five seconds or whatever. But yeah, yeah, he he sometimes puts emphasis where it's needed, like you know, in the '90s section where he's like, you know, and Tar McFarlane said, "Screw you, I'm going to do Spider-Man however <laughs> I want," and he he gets into it. But then it's like later on he'll be like, you know, 
And Mark Runewald said, I'm not going to take this fucking shit anymore. <laughs> and he's so calm about it. I'm just like, yeah. Your tone's a little inconsistent, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was like, they talked about the... They talked about the nomad thing, right? Didn't they talk about the Fabian Nicieza thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, because that, that was another thing, like the North Star thing. It's weird. Like, what do you... I mean, it's interesting because cause sometimes I sat there and kind of, like, you know, even though, even though you know, maybe I'm a bad human being or whatever, sometimes I sat there and, and thought, like, well, maybe those corporate overlords have a point, right? Like, because, you know, they, their whole thing was, like, you know, we want to put these, you know, we want to put Captain America and all these guys on lunch pails and, and underoos and, and these are IPs, right? These are... You know, like in some sense, those guys were ahead of their time too, because they're like, "Oh, our business isn't about really printing comics; it's about you know making toys and lunch pails and and selling these things as movies to studios and all this other stuff, right?" So they didn't want anything that would compromise those IPs. But then yet you've got you know whether it's you know okay, North Star you know comes out of the closet, or I guess. You know, the thing that Fabian Nicieza wanted to do where it was like, what, like Nomad was going to have AIDS or something? Was that yeah. what it was? Like, and, yeah. and so so you're, you're sitting there kind of going, OK, well, you know, I, I can kind of see from from Fabian Nicieza's point of view, he kept trying to push it, the whole thing, even though you could tell these guys weren't ever going to bite. Right. They weren't ever going to go for it. But like his whole thing was like, well, yeah, you can't do that with Captain America, but maybe we can do it with no. I mean. It's nomad. It's not like you know. It's it's a top tier character, but we can still explore this this social issue, you know, within the confines of this story. And you know, ultimately, it's not gonna you know reflect badly on Captain America's IP per se, right? It's just gonna be this this side character who has his own ongoing title. And still, they kind of said no, you know, and and it, it got shot down. But like. That's something, too, where I, I know you were kind of bringing up the idea of, oh, look, you know, they did kill Ultimate Peter Parker and there is a Miles Morales. They did, you know, sort of kill Tony Stark or, you know, whatever, Ghost Tony or whatever, right? But you've got Riri Williams and you've got Jane Foster as Thor. You know, you've got these things where it's like, look, these are reimaginings of the classic Marvel characters. But then, uh, uh, you know, part of me was kind of like thinking about things that, you know, Maybe I read on Facebook pages of Roy Thomas talking about Thor Ragnarok, where it's like, how much can you change Thor before he's not Thor? You know, like, how much can you, you know, interject any kind of social commentary before it's no longer a escapist superhero comic? You know, and, and, you know, of course, people are going to have different answers to that. People are going to, you know, cry foul and say, oh, well, Cap was punching Adolf Hitler since issue one, and that was a social commentary, and yada, 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 you know, and, and so, so you know, that, that viewpoint is certainly valid. But then, again, like, I start to wonder about those things in terms of, okay, these days, like, it seems like, not only is is it carte blanche to do that kind of thing, but it's it's almost expected, right? Like like whereas in the nineties these kind of corporate overlords were like, No way are we gonna put AIDS in comics. Like, no, no, no. But now it seems like, you know, to coin a phrase from the South Park guys, you know, and this is more figurative than literal, but 
you know, I'd say, you know, all the comic books, like, everybody has AIDS! AIDS, AIDS, AIDS! <laughs> you know, because uh, it, it's like all comics have all these social issues and, and things that, that people are dealing with. And it's like, sometimes you're like, well, that can be too much, too, because all you want is kind of kind of like what you were bringing up before with the, the Marvel comic, with the sexy Sheriff Michelle Geller, you know, whatever the fuck it was supposed to be, like, mm-hmm. like cover. It's like, how much of that do you stick in, whether it's it's sexy stuff, whether it's violent stuff, whether it's social issue stuff, whether it's stuff that, you know, isn't supposed to be polite conversation at the dinner table, religion, politics, etc. Like, how much of that gets put into the comic before you say, okay, well, this isn't okay for kids. You know, you know, it, it's interesting. We should address this right now because I realized I forgot to ask you this last week. Brian was asking, and see, I don't know that I'm very good at this stuff for his daughter, but he asked me if Spider-Gwen was appropriate for, and I think she's she's six now or something? I don't know. I think she's six mm. years old. You know what I mean? And so he, he asked me, like, is it okay for her to read Spider-Gwen? And I thought about it for a minute, and I'm like, well, I've only read, like, you know, the Spider-Verse stuff and whatever. I said, I think so, but I'm not really sure. Like, like, like I, all I could think of with the Spider Verse stuff is like um, Silk and Peter Parker humping, and I was like, I don't know that. Like, is she gonna read that if she reads Spider Gwen? Like, is Spider Gwen okay? Like, I, I didn't even know how to answer that. So, and and I said, you know, Justin, I, I passed the buck. I was like, you know, <laughs> Justin reads Spider Gwen on a regular basis, like, and would know a lot more than me. So I should ask him. You know, and, and I'll, I'll let you know. But, like, like, and, and I feel like I'm not always a good judge of those things. Like, because sometimes they can be clearly stamped out where it's like, look, you know, Batman Adventures is clearly okay for kids. You know, like, like DC Super Friends is clearly okay for kids or whatever, you know. And, and supposedly, you know, the Marvel All Ages books, you know, where it's like, you know, oh, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, but like Marvel Adventures or Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane or, you know, whatever those yeah. non-continuity books, like, it's like, oh, there, you know, there's not going to be, you know, anybody getting filleted or any kind of intense, you know, sexual encounters or, and, you know, basically, you know, Catwoman is not going to be banging Batman on the rooftop, right? So it's okay <laughs> to give to this little six-year-old girl, right? But, but I, I'm sitting there wondering, like, I, I wasn't sure, you know, and I, I'm kind of curious actually now, like, like, is Spider-Gwen okay, like, for a, a little girl to read, or, or is it something you maybe hold off on? For a six-year-old, probably not. Okay, okay. I mean, it's it's got, like, this whole, you know, Josie and the Pussycats kind of thing, yeah, where they're yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. the Mary Janes and Mary whatnot, Janes but, like... The band and stuff. But, like, you know, there there is some, like, adult stuff in it. Not, like, HBO adult, but, you know, like, more mature kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but, like... I, I would say that's a book for like a twelve year old to like a teenager. Okay. okay. Maybe maybe Silk would be better just because the the artwork is more like something from like a kid's mm. book because it has that kind of painted style. Mm, okay. And it's more of like you know she's you know you like she's working with Black Cat. Oh uh, no, she's not. And then you know she gets beat up and then she comes back and she has like her round two power and all that stuff. There's there's not a whole lot of I don't think there's a whole lot of inappropriate stuff in Silk, but Spider Gwen, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I would give Spider Gwen to like a six-year-old. Okay. Yeah, I, I just asked because, like I said, I'm not, I'm not always super sure, and 
Did, did you say like, um, I don't read Spider Gwen, but Wikipedia tells me. Yeah, Wikipedia tells me that it's uh, probably not okay for a six-year-old <laughs> girl. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, because it was funny, because I remember he, I think he bought her a, a White Tiger legend because she liked the character on my favorite TV show ever, Ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like, so so I was I was trying to think, like, even that, I was like, I was like, well, I don't know that Avengers Academy is okay to read, like, even though we all yeah. like it, you know, like, like, you know, so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, there, there's that kind of aspect where I'm, I'm always not sure. I mean, even, even, I, you know, I, you know, heaven help me. I'm watching that Runaways show on Hulu, you know, and it's like, it's like the, you know, of course, you know, part of me wonders when Marvel boy is going to show up and kill them all. But, <laughs> you know, th- th- there's that thing where you're like, is this okay? Like, this is clearly like, you know, LA teeny bopper 90210 type stuff, you know, like where it's like, like what you're saying, you're like, oh, maybe it's okay for like a 12, 13 year old, but maybe it's, it's, you know, a little too, you know, MA mature audiences, you know, type thing for, for a six year old, you know, and it seems like, like every fucking comic is MA, you know what I mean? Like, like, unless you, you know, like, like, it's one of those things where it's like, it feels weird that it got to the point where, you know, people bring their nieces and nephews or their sons and daughters with them. And, and like, I hear these stories about people looking through bins and it's like, the kid has to go, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? You know? And it's like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, well, yeah, any DC comic, like from, you know, pre, pre eighties, is probably okay, you know, they had the comics code and all that other stuff, but it's like some stuff, you know, it's like you're sitting there going, I don't know, maybe I have to look through that stuff, you know, like, I, I have no idea, you know, like, and, and, and sometimes I, I don't trust my own, you know, to me, I'm like, yeah, whatever, Dark Knight Returns, it's fine, Swamp Thing, whatever, like, who cares, you know, and you're like, whoa, like, people are getting eaten by bugs, like, this is crazy, but, you know. I probably talked way too much about DC stuff on a, a Marvel the Untold Story <laughs> podcast, but that's just me. It's okay. I know your you true know. colors. Yeah, yeah. That's me doing my true colors, I guess. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess some of the other things that were, were interesting is, you know, l- listening to like some of the other early creative stuff. Like they talk about, you know, Bill Everett. They talk about, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of like other stuff that they delve into, but they you know, they definitely go into detail on, on some of those things. So like that stuff is, is interesting, but like, like kind of like what you were saying, I mean, when you've lived through some of that stuff, it's always a little more interesting or insightful because you, you, you feel like you have something to bring to the party too, other than just maybe an opinion, you know, like, like, because you, you have some context for the, the environment that they're, you know, purportedly, explaining the history of and stuff but yeah i i mean i i'd say in 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 my final analysis like i i i think it's it's okay like like there 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 are things that were good i'm glad i listened to it like like you were saying there there are definitely tidbits that you know you could stick in the back of your head for for later use you know at a cocktail party or doing a history of comics on a film video or whatever you're like hey i know this anecdote like this is this is interesting, you know, but, but I think maybe that balance between writing something for the layman and writing something for 
the the comic guru like i i think some some of that is kind of askew is is my only you know major criticism that that sometimes it leaned too heavily towards the layman and sometimes it leaned way heavily towards the guru and 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 it didn't seem to find ever seem to find the right balance between it you know yeah i i wish i had the book on tape back in july when i went to the beach because that was like eight or nine hour drive and i went with a buddy of mine and he's he's always the guy that like you know he got out of comics when we were 12 probably but he'll go with all he'll go with me to see all these comic movies and he'll be like you know how close is this to the actual comic and he's always been kind of fascinated by the whole like stanley created them all and i have to be like well you know and you know kind of give him my filtered opinion on that i guess but like i kind of wish i had this for that drive and i could just put it in and that way he could get a better understanding and you know when the guy's like putting me to sleep with his fantastic four silver surfer story like i'm sure it wouldn't put him to sleep it'd be interesting to get reactions of what we're calling laymen to to this as well like do they do they also think that every single creator from dc marvel and timely and ec comics and all these people they talk about are complete assholes or do they not you know like that, that, that that'd be interesting too so do you do you want to wrap this up do you want to talk about awesome things of the week yes let's okay so let me see i think i think what i'll do since i have him in front of me and i can make him do the fan toy squeak is i will talk about my god i'm gonna talk about fans toys phoenix which is the the not skyfire and you were like strangling a goose or something yeah i know goose strangle activate Um, so this is this is Fan Toys uh, Phoenix, which is the 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 not Skyfire. Um, this is actually like really really freaking tall. I, I'm probably not measuring it right because I'm doing it, but it, it, it's 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 definitely over twelve inches. I mean it's it's pretty big and stuff. So of course he's he's very large in comparison to most you know masterpiece scale toys. Um, it, it comes in the box kind of in robot mode, but the, the legs were not, um, they were compressed. They were not fully transformed. And so, like, because I'm a complete nimrod when it comes to transforming modern transformers, um, it took me, like, a good 30 minutes, and then I had to look at a YouTube video, because I'm like, how the fuck do I get these feet out? Like, I don't understand. And eventually I figured it out. And, um, I've got some, you know, I got a repro label to, uh, stick the Autobot, you know, emblem on his chest and everything. But this is actually really cool. I mean, his head looks up and down. He's, he's got his cool little rifle and everything. And I think, I think my, 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 uh, team building disease dream is to, you know, I've, I've got a masterpiece Bumblebee and then, you know, this kind of not Skyfire. So at some point, maybe I could get like Wheeljack and Trailbreaker and they could all go to Cybertron and save Sparkplug or something like that. Like, I think that's my and, and of course, not Brawn to uh, get the door. You know, like I, I, I need my ultimate doom crew of uh, Autobots, I suppose. But this is this will serve as my my awesome thing of the week. How about yourself, sir? I have two things. First thing is I recently got the McFarlane Toys uh, Labyrinth action figure. Well, 
uh, you know, it's McFarlane, so it's not really an action figure. It's, it's more of a stack figure. Stack-tion. It's um, Jareth, the Goblin King, a.k.a. David Boy. And it's really nice. It's, you know, McFarlane toys, so of course it's like wonderfully detailed and, and sculptured. But as far as, you know, articulation, it's like you have like uh, shoulders, elbows, wrists, a little bit at the knees and the ankles, and that's about it. But um, you know, if you've bought McFarlane toys in the past, you you know what you're getting. Like I'm really I'm really pleased with it. You know, I I, I like Labyrinth, and I hope they make some more uh, Labyrinth figures so that I can like try and you know make a little scene. My um, my second thing is a book. It is called Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson, and basically it's about Leonardo da Vinci, and it's about you know his his life. The projects that he was interested in because, you know, he's uh, was interested in basically everything. I mean, he had questions like, why is the sky blue? And, you know, describe the tongue of a woodpecker, which I was like, wait, I, I, that's weird. I never would have even thought about something like that. But they have, like, of course, his famous paintings, but they also have, like, little illustrations from his notebooks because apparently he had like just massive volumes of notebooks where he would just kind of write down little thoughts or he would like draw he seemed to be kind of really obsessed with like the way hair curls and the way the way water will move around a rock or maybe splash against a beach or something he was really kind of fascinated with the movement of water and it talks about a lot of different projects he began and abandoned or they failed i'm really kind of interested in the stuff you know, that he either left unfinished or it failed or, or something, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that kind of thing fascinates me. And I've only got about 50 pages left, but, like, I, I really enjoy this book. So if you can, if you if you want a good biography or you're interested in Leonardo himself, then I would recommend this book. Do you think the last 50 pages will detail how he found its shield? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Awesome. And then Leonardo da Vinci founded Shield. Sounds like I created them all, Leonardo man. <laughs> I created them all, Leonardo da Vinci Shield man, and, and uh, Nick Fury Shield man. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, if you have any comments, questions, and/or concerns, if you uh, have some angry, angry emails because we we spent all episode bashing. Um, Stanley and Bob Kane or whatever, uh, you can send us angry emails at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. We are on uh, fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. You can find the archives of all of our backlog of episodes. This is, of course, our proper Fanholes podcast show. If you've enjoyed listening to the proper show, we hope you consider checking out all the various spinoff shows. We always have weekly content on the blog spot. We've got Toku Thursdays. Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays, Mobile Suit Mondays. We've got comics, motherfucker, do you read them? And we've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. And we have Justice, not entirely like Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. So if you like the proper show, we hope you consider checking out all those other shows. 
and we can be found on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those cool social media sites. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, and of course we are on iTunes, so we appreciate all the feedback, likes, and reviews, and shares, and retweets, and hearts, and all that good stuff. So, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC. I created them all! I created all the fan holes! Justin Man, Tony Man, Michael Man, Brian Man, signing off. And this is Justin. Jim Shooter was right. <laughs> There's a war inside of me. Do I cause a new heartbreak to rise? A new broken song. Do I push it down or let it run me right into the Talking for fear of listening to unwelcome sound And you haven't called me in weeks Honestly, it's bringing me down Oh, I, I feel like I wouldn't like me if I met me I, I feel like you wouldn't like me if you Derek, in case anyone asks, I consider you a founding member of the Fan Holes. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, I, I consider you one as well. <laughs> even though, even though you were you were only on IM that whole time, we were founding it. So. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't mean to like. 
you know, get us railing against Stan for... No, 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 no. That, whatever. That's, that's my fault. I mean, I just... I, See, we're, know, we're I, at, I, 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 I didn't mean to talk about dirty hippies writing my comics, but I did it anyway. <laughs> you know, like, I, mean, I, I think it's like, you know, when I was a huge Star Trek fan, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Gene Roddenberry is the greatest. And then you grow up and you find out he's kind of sleazy. You know, it's like it shatters that image. And then you're like, oh, wait, Stanley was also like he wasn't he wasn't Gene Roddenberry sleazy, but, you know, he was, you know. He had his own little set of issues and stuff, you know, like I created them all and all that stuff. You're just like, oh, man, like, is anybody in, that's super creative a good person, you know? Well, you, you do get the sense that him and Bob Kane were like two peas in a pod, you know? Yeah. I may be breaking up because of uh, microwave stuff. I don't know if you can still hear me or not. I'm is sure. it microwave time? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Your dad's like, I already pizza rolls. Yeah. Or popcorn, probably. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, 